Welcome to the Overflow Podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, visit our website at overflowdfw.com. We are studying basically John chapter uh, 7, where Jesus is talking a little bit about rivers. And most of the time when people read this verse, they think, well, Jesus is just talking about, you know, everything will just be okay in my life. He's going to put a river in me. I'm going to be satisfied. It's going to be all good in the hood. And how many know that when Jesus was saying, I'm putting a river inside of you, he wasn't just saying just for your refreshing. Come on, it wasn't just for you to consume that river, but it was so that that river would have a place to flow from. And so the Lord, many times what we do in our life is we want, we want refreshing to come from the outside. We want something to kind of fall on us, or we want to be able to get in and something moving it out of it. But Jesus is saying, listen, I want to put a river inside of you. I, I want to put a well inside of you. So it's a constant work that's moving in and through your life. And this is the way he says it in John chapter seven, verse 37, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone, everybody say anyone, anyone who believes in me may come and drink for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And what we've been talking about is that when we drink of Jesus, the river takes over. And when he says that this word living water, he was speaking of the Spirit. So Jesus was talking about the Spirit. When we drink of Jesus, we now have this relationship with the Holy Spirit. And over this series, we've been kind of doing a recap, but the series has gotten kind of long, so I'm not going to recap everything today. But I do want to talk today about troubled waters. Everybody say troubled waters. How many of you have ever been through some troubled waters? Come on. How many of y'all ever been whitewater rafting? Anybody ever been whitewater rafting? Now, I signed up one time to do some whitewater rafting, right? There was, it wasn't really whitewater rafting, though. Has anybody else experienced that? You think, oh, man, I'm going to sign up. It's going to be whitewater rafting. You go into the, you know, kind of broken down station early in the morning, and, you know, they give you a life vest, and sometimes they give you a helmet, and then they, you get in this old school bus, and they take you up to the top of the hill. Anybody else ever experienced this? And you go, and they're like, yeah, and on this part, there's like some rapids, right? And you're like, yeah, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be dangerous. White water rafting. And you get out there, and you get on the white waters, right? And you get on the rapids. And it's really not that glamorous. It's not that dangerous. It's not really that white. Anybody else ever been there? It's just not as cool as you thought it was going to be. It's not as, some of y'all were like, no, it was more. But most of us, we were looking for a little bit of an adventure. When we got through it, we were just a little bit disappointed. Am I the only one? And so what we, what we learn is that on these journeys, that, that the whole thing ain't whitewater rafting, right? Some people, they're pros, and they go do that. We understand, you know, if, if it was really that dangerous, then they wouldn't be in business because they would face lawsuits and all those kind of things. And so, but... There are people that are professional whitewater raftings, but you've got to, go, as you go through a river, there are rapids. The whole river isn't rapids, but sometimes you go through rapid waters, right? You go through waters that have been troubled. And that's how life is. Many times as we're on this river life, sometimes we go through seasons where it's a little bit more troubling than other seasons. Right? Sometimes when we're going through that season, we don't know if we're going to make it. And I want to encourage you in this today is that if you're going through a rough season, understand that it's a season. That the whole river isn't rough, but, but it does have rough spots. It does have rough places, but the river is not defined by the rough places. 
The river takes you through the rough places. So the rapids don't define the river, although there are rapids. And we talked about this last week. Sometimes we kind of treat the Holy Spirit like, you know, I just he's kind of like some fairy dust. Right? I just they sprinkle the Holy Spirit on me and no troubles ever. No, no, no. Quite the opposite. When we start following Jesus, sometimes we find a lot of tension because of the faith that we have in our life. And so one of the things that happens as we go on this journey is that if it was just all smooth, you ever did a, like gone down like San Marcos or something like that and did a river float where you just get on an inner, inner tube and you kind of go down and there's no rapids. It's just not very exciting. It's not a lot of character. You just kind of chill, right, as you're kind of floating down the river. That's not very much fun, right? It's, okay. it's, it's cool and relaxing, but if you really want some adventure, then you need to have some movement, but there's, there's more character Come on to a journey like that. And did you know that the, that the troubles that you go through in your life, those are the things that develop your character. A lot of times, a lot of times we want the character without the trouble, but that just ain't the way it works. You get, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, that's why they're good people, because they've gone through some stuff, right? You don't wake up one day and go, I'm full of character. No, you go through some things. Those are the, the things that are developed in our life. Uh, the Apostle Paul teaches this in Romans chapter 5. He says, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Now, I don't really like that verse because I don't do that very well, right? Go through troubles and trials. I don't rejoice. He says, but we can rejoice because we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character. And character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us. He's not going to leave us disappointed because he has given us this Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. And so the Apostle Paul is emphasizing here that, man, character produces in us. And if we want to have character in our life, which we all do, if, in, in, even if you don't want character in this life, some things are going to happen for you to decide, am I going to develop character or not? And if you don't have character, you can't have hope. I, I want to talk for just a few moments about some mistakes that people make when they're going through the rapids. Come on, when they're going through the troubled waters. And the first thing is this, is people think they can avoid them, right? If I, you know, if, if I come to Jesus, then all, I won't have any problems. Quite the contrary. Jesus actually promises that if you come to him, if you follow him, you will have trouble. However, he'll be with you in the midst of that, and that's a lot better than being at it alone. And so people think, well, you know, I can avoid trials. Now, now I will say this. You can definitely cause more trials than you have to go through, and we've all met a lot of people like that. Like, why do you always make a mess for yourself? But you can avoid trials. It's part of life. It is part of life on the river. And Jesus, uh, if Jesus didn't get out of trials, then you sure ain't getting out of trials. So I would encourage you to not invest so much energy in the inevitable. Just understand, rough things are going to happen. You don't have to get down about it. You don't have to get depressed about it. You don't need to call a prayer meeting about it. Come on, just understand that this is part of life. Maybe you do need to call a prayer meeting about it, but you don't every day. Come on. So, Number one is thinking you can avoid trials. The second mistake that people make when going through troubled waters is bailing. Now, you'll understand this. If you've ever been on one of these trips, they say, do not get out of the raft. And I see a lot of people get out of the river. They get out of the raft. Things start getting difficult. Well, I'm done with church, right? 
Because it's hard. Beloved, that's when you need church. That's when you can allow the church to be the church is when you're going through the hard times. Or I'm struggling with sin, so I'm going to distance myself. No, no, no. That's the time that you need to press in and find some accountability. Or people say, I'm done with God because difficult things have happened in my life. Beloved, how are you going to get through the difficult things without God? You're not. The third mistake that people make when going through difficulties is thinking that trials are an indicator that you're out of the will of God. People think this. I think we've all probably had those questions. What am I, it's so hard, what am I doing wrong? Beloved, it might be because you're doing something right. It might be because you're on the right track that you're facing troubles and difficulties. And this is something that is guaranteed to us in the scriptures that you will face trouble. So I would say quite the contrary. If you're going through difficulties, it's sometimes an indicator that you're doing everything right. I always like to say that if the devil's not on your back, he's on your side. He is going to attack you. He is going to do everything he can to destroy you because he knows your potential, because he knows that God has so much in store for you. So he wants to, he wants to stop you right now. Another mistake that people make when going through difficulties is they blame God. They make statements like, I don't know why God is testing me. I don't know why God is tempting me. Have you ever heard anybody say that? Maybe you've said that yourself. God, well, God, why are you tempting me? It says in James chapter 1, verse 12, it says, When you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. So God isn't tempting you. The devil is tempting you. One translation says that God cannot be tempted by evil. God can't tempt you. It's not in his nature because he has no evil in his nature to entice you. So don't say God is tempting me. Now understand, when I say temptation today, I'm not just talking about the temptation to sin with the sin of what we would call commission, like I commit a sin. Sometimes it's just, it's just the temptation to not trust God. Sometimes it's just the temptation to not do the right thing. So don't, don't just think of temptation in the sense of the sin of, of, of commission. Sometimes it's the sin of omission, which means I failed to do something I should have done which is still a sin, by the way. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12 says this, If you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except for what is common to man. When we go through temptation, sometimes we go, Oh, man, nobody, in our mind, we think nobody has ever had to deal with what I'm dealing with right now. No, it's just common. Listen, temptation is common. We all face temptation. Sometimes you inflate it in your mind. Sometimes you inflate it with your words. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted. Everybody say tempted. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out. Everybody say a way out. Now, it's not a way out of the river. It's a way out of the temptation. So that you can stand up. Everybody say stand up. So they can stand up under it. So he is the way maker in the midst of temptation. The temptation to bail. He says, don't bail. Here's the way through it. Let's get through it. Now, many times what people do with this verse right here is they, they misapply this verse. Let me encourage you in this. If you're going to 
use a verse for your life verse, know what that verse means. If you're going to use the Bible, know what the Bible actually means. I know that you, we like to cherry pick with that, but, but I would encourage you today. What this doesn't say is that God, God won't give you more than you can handle. How many of you have ever said that or heard anybody say, the Bible says that, actually, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, I believe this. I believe that God will put so much on you that you have to trust him to handle it. That you can't handle it. You can't handle this life. You can only handle this life by the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's not saying that God won't give you more than you can handle. It says that God won't allow you to be tempted to the point where you can't say no to it. So anytime you say, I can't say no to it, what you're saying is God is a liar. You can say no to it. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness. You can say no to it. You just choose to say yes to it. Listen, every time you sin, beloved, every time you sin, it's a choice. You've decided. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you can bear. He provides a way out. Are you looking for the way out of sin or looking for the way into sin? And I'm afraid that in the church too many times what we're doing is we're looking for a way to sin and say, God, can I get your thumbs up on it? Are you good with it, God? I hope you'll be okay for me to kind of live however I want to live. He's saying, no, I want you to live holy. It's the Holy Spirit I put inside of you. Not the affirm whatever decision you make, Holy Spirit, or the unholy spirit. Just made, I just felt good about it. That's your flesh that felt good about it. Of course you felt good about it. You were given into your carnality. Maybe you need to wrestle with some of the decisions that you're making. And stop making excuses and making permission where God doesn't give permission because you feel a certain way. Okay. Easy, easy, pastor, easy. All right. Listen, the fact is this. The river leads us through the rough places. Leads us through the rough places. Here's the temptation of Jesus, Luke's account. It says in Luke chapter 4, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the desert. Let me stop right there before we continue. Jesus is baptized in the Jordan. Now, the Jordan is the place of transition. Now, the Jordan always speaks of transition. Rivers usually speak of transition. So here's Jesus baptized in the Jordan, not Jesus sprinkled with the Jordan. Jesus baptized in the Jordan. Jesus is baptized. Why is Jesus baptized? Because Jesus is about to launch into his quote-unquote ministry. Now, I believe Jesus is doing ministry the whole time. But here Jesus is moving into what we would have in the Gospels as Jesus' ministry. So Jesus is baptized into the Jordan, comes out of the Jordan. We, we hear the Father say, this is my beloved Son. Before he ever did anything, he hears the voice of his Father. This is my Son, Jesus my Son. And he's about to be questioned on whether or not he's the Son of God. And then it says that he goes in to the desert. So he, he he's, hears the voice of his father. The Holy Spirit comes down. He's full of the Spirit. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the desert. Goes into the desert, and the devil's there. Beloved, any time there is a transition in your life, any time that God's about to do something, God's about to move, there will always be, take my word for it, there will always be an opportunity for you to bail. There will always be a trial and a temptation. For every transition, there's always a temptation. To say, do you want to leave it the way it is? Do you want your life to just go on as usual, how it's been? Or do you want to move into something new? Do you want to move into something fresh? Every time 
There's a greater level, we say this, greater levels, greater devils. You know what I'm saying? Every time that you move into the next thing, there will always be a testing. There will always be a trial. And sometimes, sometimes trials involve temptation to sin. Sometimes they don't. But there will always be a trial. There will always be a proving ground before you move into the next thing. So it's not something wrong with you. It's because God is doing something and he wants to bring you into something fresh. But in order for you to get into that, you got to go through the desert. And it's not fun in the desert. So for every transition, there's a trial. And if you do not pass the trial, listen, you might go to a different place, but your heart isn't renewed. And many times what we want is we want to go to the next place, but we don't want God to do really work in our heart. And you know what ends up happening? You end up bitter. You end up getting what you want, but your heart is distant. And your heart is harder after going through the difficult thing than better. So we might have some fruit of going through a transition, but we didn't go through it. We we, we, We went through a transition, but we failed the test. And so our heart's broken, our heart's bitter, and we get on the other side of it, and we're not, we're, we don't have character to prove from it. All we have is a quote-unquote position. We're just at a different place on, on the, in, in the river, but we're not better because of it. Okay, let me get back to the story. Verse 2, when, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. 40 days. Every day the devil tempting him. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. I love how it says, and he was hungry. Thanks for communicating that. Luke, all right. The devil said to him, if, everybody say if, if you are the son of God. Immediately after he hears his father say, this is my beloved son, the devil says, if you're his beloved son. He will always, listen, the devil will always undermine what God says. If you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Aren't you hungry, Jesus? If you're really the son of God, why don't you get out of your fasting? This trial can be over right now. Those rocks don't look very good, do they? Wouldn't think of them as those big, lumpy roadhouse, Texas roadhouse rolls, Jesus. Just turn them. Come on. You can do it. He answered, it's written. Man does not live by bread alone. The devil led him up on a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I will give you all their authority and splendor because it's been given to me. I have the rights. I'm the prince of the power of the air. At this point, he was. I mean, you know that Jesus got those keys back. He gave them to you and I. He said this, and I will give it to you, to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it'll all be yours. And Jesus answered, it is written. It is written. Again, a second time, he uses the word of God. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. How many you know the devil knows the Bible too? Come on. And this is what he does. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus also knew the word and he answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Everybody say until. Until an opportune time. So the the testing of his life wasn't over, but this season of testing was. I want to talk this morning about spirit-filled endurance. 
I know I've been talking about it already, but I want you to know that's where we're heading today, spirit-filled endurance. Many times we think of being spirit-filled, we think of being in worship, right? It's so good. God, you're moving. Thank you. I'm spirit-filled. It's so good. I love it. Yes. But how many know that we need to have that same rejoicing, Holy Spirit-filled moment even in the midst of testing? We're going, yes, Lord, I'm still filled with your spirit. Even though it's hard, I'm being led by the spirit. Most of us, when it gets difficult, we start functioning in the flesh. We lose control over our mouth. We lose control over our behavior. Oh. But God wants us to be dependent upon the Holy Spirit when we go through our difficulties. See, you can be as spirit-filled or led as much as you go through difficulty as, as you are in seasons of ease. Because you're filled with the Spirit. You don't just have moments of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5. Spirit-filled endurance. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Everybody say, lead. Say, lead me, Holy Spirit. He's saying, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what the sinful nature desires. How many of you have done probably this week? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. You've done what the spiritual, what, what your carnal nature has desired. You've acted in the flesh. Right? You've been undisciplined. You've disobeyed the Lord. What was that? That wasn't being spirit-led, was it? You were being led by your carnality, your flesh. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. How I many of you have done that before, and you go, that's not what I wanted to do. I mean, it was, but it wasn't. I mean, I wanted to do, but it was so hard, and so I didn't. You gave in to the more dominant nature at that moment. And the Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. So there are desires that are carnal in nature and fleshly and of the world. And then there are desires that are spiritual. How do you know those? Fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Gentleness, self-control, right? This is, this is what it looks like to function in the spirit. Anything that's opposed to that is of the flesh. These are the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the spirit, right? These two forces are constantly fighting each other. There is a war inside of you. And you decide who wins the war. Is it my flesh? Is it my carnal desires? Or is it the spirit of God that dwells in me? And you decide. God doesn't decide who wins that battle. He already decided. You decide who wins that war. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. And notice, it doesn't say anything really about the devil right there. The devil doesn't make you do anything. He tempts you. That's all he can do. So what do we do? How do we have spirit-filled endurance? Number one, remember who you are. Remember who you are. See, the greatest threat to the enemy is when sons and daughters walk in their identity. See, it is the, the greatest threat to the devil is that when you walk like you're a child of God, this is why he was so bent on getting Jesus to bow to him instead of what his father had said. The father just said, this is my son. I'm pleased. I love him. And Jesus goes to the desert, and the devil's like, if, you're the, if what God said is true, he's always questioning what God says. If what God said is true, then, then you're the son of God. Then why don't you exercise some power here and get out of your trial? 
See, the thing is, the devil can't do anything to God. So he attacks God's kids. That's what he does. He can't do anything to God. He's already lost that battle. So he's going to try to get you to lose yours. If you are the son of God. See, you are a child of God with a new nature driven by the Holy Spirit. You're not driven by your flesh anymore. Every attack is to question your identity. Every question is undermining. If God, did God really say? Think about the Garden of Eden. Did God really say? Did God really, did God really forbid that? Well, I kind of feel like he did. I mean, he said it, and I'm, I think that's true. But, hey, that looks pretty good, that avocado. I say avocado because you think it's an apple in your mind. I know. See, the test is always an identification test. Who are you? In the moment when you're being tested, it's a test that says, who are you? Are you a child of God? Or are you independent of God? See, the test reveals that. Who are you? Are you a carnal, sinful prodigal? Or are you a blood-bought, spirit-filled, overcoming child of God? Which is it? It's not both. Which nature are you bowing to? Yielding to. Submitting to. Remember who you are. Romans 8, 13. For if you live according to the sinful nature... You will die. But if the Spirit, but if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God and daughters of God, kids of God. It uses sons there because in those times, sons carried the authority. They received the inheritance. For you do not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. Just like Jesus received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. By him we go, Daddy. It's difficult. We don't go, God, where are you? We go, God, I need you now. Abba. Not, I'm not calling out to him in an accusing way. And I feel like that cry so many times, God, where are you, is an accusing cry that says, God, you were absent. Whereas Abba Father says, God, I know, you, I, just need, I just need you to be in the room. We have this thing with, with Uriah. And he, he kind of battles anxiety a little bit. And so if he's feeling anxious, he says, I need somebody. I need somebody in the room. Doesn't he say that? I need somebody to be with me. It's the cry of a child. And when we cry out to Abba Father, we're saying, Abba, I need somebody to be with me. He's like, I'm right there. I'm with you. And I've given you my spirit. And this is what it says. The spirit himself testifies with his spirit that we are God's children. The reason why that you were given the Holy Spirit is not to have the holy nag in you going, nah, 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 but to say, you're a child. You're a son. You're a daughter. You're mine. You can say no to that. You can say yes to this. Look what I built you for. And by the way, he is the Holy Spirit. That's not his name, but that is his description. His name is God. But the Holy Spirit, he's not the unholy spirit. Come on. He's not just the, the, the affirming spirit, which some people are like, oh, I just feel. like He's not the feeling spirit. He gives you feelings. He carries feelings. But he's the Holy Spirit. 
That's why you feel so yucky when you sin. If you don't feel yucky when you sin, maybe you need to ask God to fill you with the Holy Spirit. You should feel yucky when you sin because it doesn't belong in you. The enemy will always try to also not just undermine your sonship. He'll also try to undermine that holy part. Well, you know, this is funny what we've done. We've made the word holiness a bad word. We've done that. We Oh, the holiness movement. Well, heck yeah, I want to be in on the holiness movement. I want to be a, a child of God that is set apart for God. That's what it means to be holy, that I'm set apart for God, that I am reserved for his purposes. And we've made the word holy a bad word. Haven't we done that? Woo. Beloved, we need to be careful that we don't undermine the holiness of God in the pursuit of the tenderness of God and the compassion of God. He's a good father because he's holy. Holy is the most common description in all of Scripture of God's nature. Holy, the word holy, that he's set apart, that he's separate, separate, that he's unique, that he's different. It's not a bad word. It's a good word. Holy Spirit. He's holy, holy. He's W-H, holy, H-O, holy, fully holy. It sounds better to say holy, holy, though. Okay. Number one, remember who you are. Number two, get into God's word. Get into God's word. Listen, if Jesus, if Jesus needed to use the word of God during his trial, don't you think that you need to use the word of God in yours, in your difficult season? Don't you think it's important that you have some word in you? If Jesus who just heard the voice of his father say, this is my beloved son, it's tempted by, don't you think that you're going to need to have the word of God when the devil comes to accuse you? Beloved, you need to value the word of God. What are you going to value more, your feelings, your sensitivities? Because we all know how objective that is. We need the objective word of God. And I always say, I like to say it this way, get into the word until the word gets into you. How much word should I, as much word as it takes for you to know it. I'm not saying that you have to, have to know every, you know, little Bible verse and every chapter and all that, but know what the word says. And some of that today, you're like, oh, I didn't realize that's not what the word says. Yeah, because you got everybody else telling you, but you haven't learned it yourself. It's not just enough to listen to your pastor or listen to podcasts. Every day you need to be in the word of God. Every day. Jesus, remember what we talked about before is that Jesus leaves that residue through the Holy Spirit. He will remind you of all the things that I've spoken. Well, how are you going to know what Jesus has spoken if you're not studying what he said? Well, I really like Jesus. Well, do you like what Jesus, that's the way people are. Well, I like Jesus. I just don't really like the Bible. Without the Bible, you don't get Jesus. Sorry. Sorry to bust your bubble there. You know, Psalm chapter 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. You know what it's about? It's about the Word. It's about the Word of God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus needed the Word. Jesus knew the Word, and He was the Word. Crazy. Do you know the Word? So Psalm 119, David says this way. I want to say in about verse 10, he says, How is a man's ways kept pure? By obeying your Word. Then he says in verse 11, he said, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
other words, if I don't want to sin, then I better have some ammunition to fight against it. And that ammunition is the word of God. In other words, what God said is more important and more value and carries more weight than, than what the devil is accusing me of. And this is what I'm saying. Because there were questions of accusation. If you're really God's son, if you're really the son, if you're really the Messiah, he's like, let me tell you what. I know the word. So I've hidden my word, your word, in my heart that I might not sin. Listen, you've got to store up good things in your heart. That's what Jesus said. He said, the, the, the good man brings forth the good things that are stored in his heart. What have you stored in your heart? What are you putting there? That's what's going to come out. The reason why you have filthy language, because that's what you put in. The reason why you gossip, oh, is because you listen to gossip. Because that's what you put in. The reason why you're full of slander is because you fuel slander. That might be the biggest sin in the body of Christ. The most common sin in the body of Christ might be slander. Accusing everybody. False accusation. It's all rooted in comparison and jealousy. Beloved, let's guard our hearts. You've got to get it in there before it to come out. How much of the word do you know? Get in the word. Have, have a time every day where you get into the word. It might be, might be a 10-minute devotional. Do something. If you do a 10-minute devotional in the word of God, you're doing more than what most people that call themselves Christians in America do. Just get, get in your Bible. And not just your little happy verses either. Get into it. Know who God is. Know the character of God. And then what happens, listen, what happens is he will remind you, you learn not only has what God said, but you also learn how he speaks. So when you're functioning and you're living and you're going, oh, man, it's just, that sounds like it could be the Lord, but I'm not really sure. Well, you've got this history with God's word that you kind of know how he speaks. So you can look at that and go, I think God might be saying that because, you know, the Bible teaches this, so that kind of sounds something like, you know what, I think it is God speaking. Other times you can go, well, that's not God. Well, how can you know? Because you have the word. You, you know that it's not going to contradict what God has already said. He doesn't need to contradict what he's already said. What he said is already good. So does it, does it fall in line with that? Does it line up? Does it seem like something God would say? Yeah, well, how do you know how God speaks? You have the word of God that teach you that. So when God speaks to you in a moment, you know it's God because you're like, you have this history with his word, the things that he said. You learn how he speaks. You've learned his nature. You learned his character. And now you're like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the Lord. And then at times you go, I'm pretty sure that's not him. When you hear you're a filthy scumbag pagan heathen, you know that that's probably not God saying that to you. That sounds like devil language. Oh, yeah. Okay. So get into God's word until it gets into you. Remember who you are. Get into God's word. Number three, lean in. Lean in. Lean into God. That's what they tell you when you're on these rafts. So they say, hey, if you're on the raft and it starts getting wrapped, you don't kind of lean to the side, right? And that's a good way to get out. It's a good way to drown. It's a good way to give into trouble. No, no, no. Lean in. Lean in. See, the greatest lessons you'll learn in the spirit will be experiencing his leadership through the difficult seasons. When it's hard, listen, I know, man, and we're going through it, and it's hard. We're, like, falling off the stage and stuff. 
We're like, it's hard and it's difficult. And we're like, oh, it's just so hard. God, <laughs> I know you're here. I know your word, but I kind of feel like, where are you, right? And you're just like, oh, so I'm just going through it. Lord, I'm staying faithful. I'm staying faithful. And then you get back on the, on the other side of it. You've gone through the rapids and you look back and you go, huh. Wow. Look how good God was. Look where he led me right there. I mean, I could have hit that big old rock right there. Look at, look at that. I could have avoided that. Thank you, God. And you're able to look back. And you see, what is this? This is developing history in the spirit. You're developing that history with the Lord. And you're able to look back and you say, man, because I leaned in, because I didn't lean out, because I didn't get out, but because I leaned into him, because I trusted him, I was able to see the goodness of God. I was able to experience the goodness of God. Beloved, if you bail out now, you might not see the goodness of God. It doesn't mean he's not good. It just means that you didn't stick around long enough to see it. Isaiah chapter 43, I love this. Do not be afraid, for I've ransomed you. Other words, you're mine. I paid for you. I bought you back. I brought you from slavery. I've called you by name and you're mine. See, the whole, the whole deal with the new covenant is this. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. We, we belong to one another. So he's saying this. He's like, I've called you by name, you're mine. When you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. And when you go through, notice he's using the word through here. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I save you. I take care of you. I'm good. Lean into me. Lean into me. Don't bail. There's a verse in James chapter 4, verse 7. It's powerful. It's a good one, good one for you to memorize. It says this, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is what we see with Jesus. He was submitted to God by the Holy Spirit, to the word of God, through his difficulty. He resisted the devil, and the devil fleed. Remember it says that he left for a more opportune time. It doesn't mean that he wasn't ever going to be tested again, because he was. But he had to leave for an opportune time. Why? Because Jesus submitted himself to the Father. He resisted the devil. Some of us want submission, but there's no resistance. Others, there's resistance, but there's no submission. You've got to have both. You've got to lean in. You've got to lean in and say, God, I'm completely and totally yours. I belong to you. When the temptation comes, with the temptation to sin, whether it's the temptation to believe untrue things about who God is, when the temptation comes in, you go, you know what? I'm submitted to God. You don't have authority in my life. No. See, you can't say no. You can't say no without honoring the Lord, without submitting to the Lord. You're not going to be able to say no. You might be able to do it for a little while. But eventually the enemy won't leave just because you've resisted. He's leaving because you're yielded to someone who is more powerful than him. So when you're submitted to God and the devil comes and you say, "Uh -uh. uh-uh, uh-uh, no, no, over and over and over again, guess what? He flees from you. Why? Because your posture is yielded to God. You okay? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And he left him for a more opportune time. 